Welcome to Weird Sauce, a podcast about formulas. In these conversations, I intend to rethink with you the rhythms of our lives. From the exceptional to the routine, I wander into the patterns, the alchemy of experiences, good and bad, from scientists to high achievers. Life is not a long, quiet river, so follow me upstream into the extraordinary, the storms, the mishaps, the components that may inspire you today and tomorrow. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Your health is your responsibility and that of your physician. Always seek advice from your physician before choosing any lifestyle interventions you may have heard in this podcast. Thomas Leeds, uh, welcome to Weird Sauce, and thank you for welcoming us into your location, I believe, in the, in the United Kingdom. Could you kindly introduce yourself for our audience? Yep, I'm Thomas Leeds, and I am living in Southend in the UK, and um, I am a stay-at-home dad at the moment to my two little kids, and a writer of children's books, and um, yeah, it's lovely to speak to you. So this introduction is uh, seemingly benign compared to <laughs> the story of your life, and therefore I would immediately want to know the context under which you became a writer. Um, okay. And I think we need a little bit of background story on that. So please tell us the story of how you became who you are now today. Cool. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I, um, I got into writing uh, something I never thought I'd be able to do. Um, after I so to give you some background so basically I was in a car accident when I was 19 um, and I was crossing a road in London and I was hit by a car and um, apparently flew through the air and landed on my head and um, fractured my skull and my back in three places and uh, there was a large blood clot in my head that then had to be removed um, so I had a very serious head injury, uh, and back injury as well, but the head injury was, um, particularly bad. And, and, uh, when I, after my surgery, I had forgotten everything from before the accident. Um, and there were some other, uh, issues as well. Um, so later on I developed epilepsy as a result, um, because of the scar tissue on my brain. Um, but it wasn't so, so as far as the memory went, so I'd, I'd forgotten everything before the accident, which was obviously, <laughs> I didn't know any different at the time. Um, but uh, yeah, it took me um, a long time. They said, oh, well, if you go to this place or, uh, you know, uh, do, try and explore that, that time period that you've forgotten and go to places that you went to or listen to music or whatever, um, that, you know, some of it might come back. So I did that for many years, for 10 years, um, and then suddenly um, having, having kind of tried to accept that it was never going to come back because it had been 10 years um, and, and it was on the eve of my 30th birthday, I was compiling a, a playlist for my uh, 30th birthday party and because I was born in the 80s, I, um, it was an 80s theme <laughs> party and so I was putting together this playlist of, of music and I thought I had heard them all. I thought I'd heard all the music because over that 10 year period, I've been trying to kind of 
you know, tap into that. Um, but I pressed skip one more time and then this, this song came on that I apparently had not heard in all that time. Um, and it was the whole of the moon by the water boys. And as soon as it came on, there was suddenly, it was amazing. There were suddenly all these memories just kept popping into my head. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I think it wasn't that many. There was about six that time that were very vivid, um, flashbacks, I guess you would say, um, and they didn't make sense to me at the time because even though I kind of knew they were memories, um, they were kind of abstract, you know, they turned out to be very early memories, so things didn't really make sense. So then the next day, I was very excited. I immediately told Sophie, my wife, and uh, so we wrote it down because my short-term memory is not great as well <laughs> as a result. And um, and then the next day, I called my mum and my met up with my brothers and told them and having them confirm all this. And my mum was like, oh, yeah, that was that. And you know, kind of um, explaining that these were very real memories and very early memories. So that was amazing. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of went from there. And then that really changed everything for me because even though it was only a few memories, just having something real from the beginning was was amazing. And then uh, since then, there have been a few more instances, but not many memories at all, but just um, it's made a real difference having having something. From the, from the past. So my immediate thought in this is, whoa, because I remember reading the story of, that's how I came across your story on the BBC and how you recall this, but that was not a auditory recount of it. You just recounted it of it as though you were telling me just an anecdotal story of something in which you lose 19 years of your memory and then you just move on, quite, you know, and then another 10 years of rehab. And so, so I want to, I want to make a big, massive pause right here. And I want to understand emotionally, and I want to go inside your, your head. If I, if I'm invited there, how does a 19 year old wake up in a hospital surrounded by people that you cannot or she cannot anchor it into a context. And what was that like um, to begin with? Then we can go into the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it is so, so yeah, I talk about it as if it's normal, as if it's nothing, because obviously it's been a long time and I've kind of, you know, I, I've talked about it a lot and processed it over many years. Um, but yeah, initially, what, what was interesting, and, and the neurologist explained later on that it can happen um, it's quite common that there's a chemical imbalance when you have such a major head injury um, that can affect all kinds of things and can affect your mood or, or you know how you feel about things one way or the other. And some people can get more agitated or angry or whatever. And for me, it seemed to put me in this really weirdly, uh, temporarily, but for quite a while, for about a year, um, in this really weird sort of... Um, uh, disproportionately um, uh, sort of serene state where I, I really don't remember feeling worried or or panicked at all. Uh, whereas now you might think that's that's really strange to not to not be thinking ah what's happened. Um, so it was weird. So it was kind of a combination of this apparently chemical imbalance where I just felt very calm and not panicked and um, kind of wonderstruck by everything I was seeing. But at the same time, um, also when you have total memory loss like that, 
and you don't have any episodic memory to call on. Um, you kind of don't know any different. You don't know how much is gone until people start telling you everything. Um, and because, um, so it's kind of hard to explain, but yeah, it's kind of like being a baby again, because you don't, you're kind of looking at this hospital curtain and this, uh, these people that you don't recognize and trying this food that you've never known before. And you're not thinking, oh, why don't I know what that is? Because you don't have any memory to draw on. Um, and so it's kind of hard to explain to people. Um, I think it would have been harder, perhaps, like talking to other survivors and stuff, had I had something to call on, had I remembered something, then perhaps I'd be freaking out because this patch of my life had seemingly gone. But when you've got nothing and you, it, you just kind of, and as I say, I was very fortunate, I think, to have been left in this state of kind of happiness, uh, weirdly, or not happiness, but, you know, um, uh, yeah, I was kind of, and also I was on a lot of medication for the pain because I'd broken my back in three places and, and all of that. And, and as far as being filled in and people making you aware of what's happened, I mean, my family was just so glad that I was alive and they were aware that I needed a lot of rest. Um, my dad's a doctor and my mom's medically trained. So they just wanted me to kind of rest and they realized that, you know, I just needed help to kind of adjust and, so I'd, yeah, my early memories uh, of um, uh, when I went home, just resting a lot at home and then just being allowed to uh, just live a very simple life initially, just kind of, you know, learning, you know, just kind of sitting in the garden and, and, and uh, yeah, so I was very, very fortunate to have the support that I had that made a massive difference, you know, meeting other people since then who've had not necessarily very similar uh, but you know who've had head injuries and memory loss and things um yeah I was extremely fortunate to not only have parents with medical background but so who kind of could help me in that regard but also just such a supportive family that's the most the most important thing um who kind of sheltered me a bit and then kind of did so didn't sit me down and go you need to know this this and this because that might have freaked me out more uh, where it was kind of just like a general, like a, a gentle, um, slow uh, adjust, adjustment, but it did come later. Um, it, it became, so it actually became harder at, later on because as you start to realize what you're missing and also your peers start to sort of get on with their lives and you realize what you're supposed to be doing as a, as a guy at that age, <laughs> and you, all these things that you, you were about to do or you should be doing or whatever. And, um, and so, that, so yeah, it became harder and that chemical imbalance I spoke about sort of eased off, it seemed. And, um, yeah, so then it became tougher. And then, um, uh, and then also my, as my back, in, it, uh, my back injury recovered, I was lucky that I was so young. The doctors are always saying, you know, when you're 19, if something like that happens, the bone heals quite, quite well. So I was lucky that it was relatively okay after months I suppose um but uh but then I also started then later I started to develop the seizures um which also made my short-term memory worse <laughs> and um so yeah it was it was kind of a two-wave thing where it was kind of like I I just started to try to kind of find a way that I could make my life work and then I started having the seizures um which a neurologist had warned me would come eventually because it's quite common to develop 
post-traumatic epilepsy after a massive head injury. So, um, so yeah, that made life hard again uh, to to um, to adjust and try and find my way and stuff. But as I say, the main thing was having that support, having a supportive family that could help, and um, obviously that helps your outlook as well, um, which is a massive part of it. So yeah. And in your your environment, you just mentioned that your parents were medically trained, so that that makes a, a very massive difference. Is because they probably were able to have a network and to have resources to uh, to yeah. them to yeah. help you out. So I'm wondering whether, in addition to give you space and time to recover, which is essential, rather than probably push through different therapeutics or different ways of of getting quote unquote better. Was there a, a, a sense that um, to connect things neurologically to back to emotion um, in relation to memory, w- was there an intention there to do things like one step at a time? Because you, you, didn't, you didn't mention this idea of music later on, but I'm wondering whether things around uh, familiarity with uh, taste, familiarity with um, colors, familiarity with certain shape that you liked more, um, did you try sequential therapeutics in these approach with sensory readaptation and reacclimatization of the brain in order to bring memory back? Or did you actually take it kind of on an emotional basis, which is I will go with what feels uh, more hopeful or right? How was that like for you? Well, it was interesting because a, a lot of the uh, neurologists that I've spoken to since obviously have all these um, um, sort of uh, very advanced new uh, ideas of what can be done um, and you know like the best possible things that you could be offered and obviously um, this happening to me in the UK uh, where we have the NHS and um, which is amazing and a huge privilege to be able to get the treatment when you need it regardless of, of whatever but once you are moving on with your life and you become what we call an outpatient here where you're you know, you're no longer in hospital and you're having appointments and things. Um, you can't sort of say, oh, could I, you know, what could I need? It's kind of what you do need. <laughs> and so if you're in a relatively good position, you're living at home, you've got a doctor with you and, um, you know, you're kind of, and my mom and dad are very, very positive, optimistic people who kind of didn't tell me oh you know things are going to be really tough if you don't you know so there was so at the time and as as I didn't know any different I kind of um just kind of just tried to get on to kind of be in normal life and and uh there was no specific kind of therapies in terms of trying to get those long-term memories back that I recall um but it was um, you know, I had support from a great charity called Headway here um, in the UK who who are brilliant at giving you tips and ways to help you with memory um, and just supporting you in general as a survivor of, of a head injury. Um, but yeah, it was kind of the advice was was to do a bit of both of what you've just talked about, you know, so but in a more casual, you know, so not sitting down with a neurologist with, with flashcards or whatever. And obviously I've done lots of tests to kind of see the specific problems that I've had. Cause I've also ended up with things like, uh, which we didn't realize for quite a while that there was a specific, um, thing with, 
with so-called face blindness where where I wasn't recognizing. So even once I had got to know somebody, so I knew that, okay, so that's my mom or that's my dad or whatever. And then I was um, making new memories of those people. And I could, if you said, you know, who's your mom? And I could tell you. But then if I saw her out of context, I wouldn't recognize her. Um, so it took a while to realize that that was a specific um, kind of problem because uh, I wasn't forgetting everyone every time. It was that I didn't recognize their face. So then if I got other cues or like they said who they were or whatever, then um, then I could sort of piece that together again. But yeah, so it was quite complicated. Um, but yeah, in terms of trying to get those memories back, it was just kind of um, going through kind of in a private setting, you know, at home, um, trying to sort of uh, try a bit of everything and, 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 you know, looking at my old you know, because I was only 19 at the time. So, you know, in the house and we had, I had much younger brothers, so we still had the, all the old toys and we had all the, um, you know, all my old drawings and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, just kind of a, a mix of everything really to try and bring back those, you know, try and jog your memory from before. And in terms, in terms of, um, so you, you're saying that short memory was also not great. So I'm, I'm just wondering what, what type of scale are we talking about? So, how long would a um, a close memory, a shorter memory, last for? Is it something you did not within the, the last twenty four hours, or was it a little bit longer than that? What was the scale? What kind of scale are we talking about? Yeah. So with my short term memory, which is still not great, and it depends. It varies from day to day. Um, and uh, this morning, thankfully, I'm not doing too badly so far. Um, but it's something again that I've just got used to. Um, uh, it can be very frustrating depending on what you're trying to do in life. Um, but so basically on an average day, you know, I will just forget things that I've just done apparently <laughs> or whatever. Um, uh, so everything from, you know, uh, you know, when I'm quite often disappointed that someone's eaten my breakfast or, you know, <laughs> like I can sometimes take a long time in the bathroom because I keep forgetting what I'm doing. Um, and uh, conversations that I've had and things that we've done. Um, and it's always worse around a seizure. So like if I have had a seizure, then there's this kind of haze around that time. Um, yeah, it, it, does, it seems to be a bit indiscriminatory. Like, uh, well, I say that, but my neuropsychologist recently said um, that there does seem to be a link with, um, so if something has a big emotional um, uh, response, um, then I'm more likely to remember that. So, because when you talk to me, I seem like I remember a lot of stuff because, well, I do, we all were, yeah, I'm still very fortunate that my brain does what it does. Um, but the things I'll sort of recount tend to be things that were very, very funny or very sad or very, you know, there was some kind of emotional, I, if I try and recall more mundane things, it doesn't, um, that doesn't really help. So that seems to be, which I suppose makes sense for, for ordinary people, or not ordinary, but you know, people without a brain injury, um, because you know that I guess that we kind of evolved to, to, to remember very scary things or very, you know, so you kind of, um, um, so, so that seems to be a thing, but yeah, it, it can be very sketchy. And, you know, for instance, my, um, uh, just trying to call on some actors, it's like my, um, 
my little girl would be, I would, so I'm at home with them all the time and I would be like surprised that she addressed herself because she was only two and I'd be like, oh, amazing. And they're like, how has she done this? And she'd be like, silly daddy, you just dressed me. <laughs> so, you know, it was all kinds of things. Um, I'm kind of recounted like nice things in the home or whatever, but obviously if you're trying to go about your life and uh, out in the world, it can be quite frustrating and scary because sometimes, you know, I'll just find myself thinking, where was I? What, what was I doing? And socially trying to get on with it in a social um, setting, um, that can be quite tricky as well because trying to hang on to conversations and keep track of who's who combined with the face blindness thing can be a bit of a nightmare. So, um, yeah, it's, it's complicated. Um, and, and every day I, I, there are things that I forget in the day. Um, and I'm just going back to what I said originally from my original sort of stage of recovery. Um, very fortunate now to have Sophie, my wife, who is just amazing. And she is like, you know, I, I'm so lucky to have created or, or found myself in this life where um, I don't feel as disabled as I probably would in other settings because I'm, everybody around me knows this, including my little kids who are used to, they don't know any different. They're used to having a forgetful dad. And, um, you know, they're kind of like my backup, if you like, of my memory. So they're used to just going, oh, you did this, you did that, and we did this. And that's, don't worry about that because, you know, so, um, yeah, it's, I'm very lucky to have this, to have this support. I think, I think that is the most important thing. And you, so, so you said something which then jolt my own, uh, memory and, um, in, in a very bizarre catch-22 scenario, I just thought, <laughs> I want to ask him this question, but there's a very high chance that he won't remember, which is, do you remember what it felt like to look at the world as, a, as an adult, as a young adult, as though you were just a baby? Because that's the one experience I think no, no one else, apart from people like yourselves, who've had the misfortune to go through such trauma, can share with us. Do, do you have this? Yeah, I do. So, so as I say, fortunately, I do have memories of, of, of back then. It just kind of tends to be the more sort of emotionally. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, d I definitely do uh, remember feeling um, just like, uh, I, I, yeah, like I've kind of found this good word for it, like kind of wonderstruck where like everything is kind of new and exciting and uh, in a way that I guess you wouldn't have at that age, uh, yet, you know, literally everything from food to trees and, you know, everything. And then going, you know, through this process of everything that was in our house to then everything that was in our neighborhood. And then literally like a child would, I guess, like just your world is, there wasn't a world really until I started to build it, you know, realize what was there and stuff. And, um, yeah, just in terms of my outlook, I mean, my mum and dad were talking about this recently about um, how it was kind of, my mum said, you know, I was more like a child because, um, you know, just my kind of um, outlook on on things was very kind of, I don't know, I suppose elementary, you know, like kind of, um, I would, in, for instance, things like Christmas, you know, um, they kind of, my first Christmas was kind of like, you know, they had this giant man child because like I was, and I have much younger siblings at the time who were, 
you know, still in that phase as well. So it was like they had a new child again, you know, who was just kind of like so wrapped up in the whole thing because it was so new and and um, just feeling just like this sense of wonder about everything and not necessarily having that kind of hard reality yet that, that grown-ups have kind of um, got. And, you know, some of the things I've had to get used to as a parent now and, and all that kind of stuff, that wasn't there at all. So like... I was just, yeah, just in, I just remember feeling just amazed by a lot of stuff, scared by some stuff as well, you know, as it went on, you know, like, especially when my memory was playing tricks on me or whatever. But um, yeah, just generally, um, uh, it's it's hard for me to kind of say instead of this or like compared to how you might feel because I don't know any different. Um, yeah. I don't know if that answers the question. <laughs> no, it does. It does. Um, so the the next uh, chapter of, of your life, um, which is, again, just literally stunning to me, is the fact that, so not only do you do this and then you just carry on having a methodology, so to speak, even with the environment that you have to to adapt to what is in front of you and then just to carry on. But then you you... You do. You did mention uh, being married and having children. So, I'm just really um, curious about not in a bad way, but in a in a sort of scientific way of of how how would you how did this how could this happen? Because there's so many functional uh, reality in which it, this seems impossible. So I think sure. as a complete, you know, as a complete human being i'm sitting there and going how, yeah. how could this even happen <laughs> um yeah i mean i can see that i think um i think lots of things i think my family kind of instilled so even when i was getting more frustrated and there was a point of depression as well a few years after particularly around the time that i started to have the seizures which made life really difficult initially and scary and you know I had just started to get into swimming I relearned how to swim with this amazing lady who taught me a lot of things she was like a um, sports rehab person um, and then I had a physio as well and stuff like that so I'd learned all these new things and and was starting to feel independent and um, capable of doing things and then started having the seizures so that was difficult but I think because my um, my family's out, they've always been so, um, glass half full type, you know, like they've always said, Oh, well, you can do this and you can do that. And, and, um, so I've always kind of seen things at, from a very kind of like, what can I do rather than what I can't, even though don't get me wrong, there have been times and I've had some dark times when it did get too much and it was hard to cope. Um, but in terms of, as you say, like getting married and having children and stuff, I mean, so, so I approached dating uh, kind of not too differently to how I, because I had that attitude where I was thinking, you know, I would like to have a family one day and I would like a partner. And, you know, I had got used to my friends and my family having partners and whatever. Um, and what, funnily enough, what was the timing kind of was, 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 uh, good that in here in the UK at least um, uh, this thing of internet dating had just kind of become a thing around the time that I was kind of feeling ready to try and find a partner and see how that works and stuff and 
as somebody with short-term memory problems and facial recognition uh, problems and all that kind of stuff, that was really useful because then I wasn't having to try and meet someone and keep track of someone in real life. Well, in real life I was, but like, you know, I was able to have these profiles and keep a track of who was who and and in, in that way. And, you know, you start off your relationship with that person sending messages to each other that then are logged in <laughs> thing. So I was very fortunate the timing of that becoming a thing at the time where I was of the age to kind of um, be doing that and exploring that. And um, very, very fortunate to meet Sophie who um, who's just been amazing and she doesn't, she just has a, a good outlook on life, um, which again, I think is from her family who've been through a lot as well. And she's just kind of, um yeah it just kind of sees me for what I can do and not what I can't and and you know for all the reasons that normal <laughs> I shouldn't say normal but for people who who don't have this particular problem um fall in love and, and meet, meet their partners and whatever you know you have all those normal reasons <laughs> um and then um yeah it was just kind of about uh you know making it work and um, so, you know, when we first met, I think, you know, I wouldn't have recognized her again or whatever, but I think it was about, because a part of my whole thing was that, um, I was very honest and I guess you could say naive about people for a long time, uh, because I didn't know to kind of not trust people or, or whatever. And because of my memory and stuff, I was, I ha I have to rely on other people a lot. So I, I can't be that I, I, um, I have to trust people. Um, so because of that, um, I'm very upfront and honest in a way that other people find a bit <laughs> sort of, um, mo most of the time refreshing, I guess, because, um, um, I don't sort of hold back and I don't see why I should have to, you know, so, so I would tell, I'd be, I was very upfront about my, um, problems and, and how different my life was and whatever. So there was never any kind of realization. I mean, obviously, I guess practically it's different once you actually start to live with me or whatever. But um, but Sophie always knew from the from the get go before we even met that I had brain injury and that I had memory problems and that I had facial recognition issues and all that kind of stuff. And she thankfully was accepting of that and said, "Okay, well, you know." <laughs> so um, so and yeah, so I was very fortunate that I met this lovely lady who <laughs> who kind of um accepted me for for who I was and not what I was what I had lost and what I was dealing with and then going forward as you asked about parenthood I mean thankfully I was you know she has this wonderful family as well so then I was accepted into their family and embraced there and and um and her wonderful mum who sadly passed away a couple of years ago um she was just incredible. She kind of treated, I think, I think possibly because of, as we often saying, um, she, uh, she kind of loved that I was a bit of a child at that time as well. So, you know, when they would have Christmas and stuff, she would put on a special thing for, this is my mother-in-law, like she would put on a special thing for my birthday and Christmas and stuff. So I kind of was really embraced by them. And, um, they were all the, all of Sophie's siblings were having children and stuff. And so we were just kind of in this loving um, environment that never made me feel like I couldn't do those things or I couldn't just because I struggled with, you know, 
a lot of things and couldn't have a lot of the jobs that perhaps like a lot of the others had. And because Sophie, you know, um, we're quite progressive people. We don't really see this sort of perhaps traditional norms that society would kind of put on you not so long ago or, or in a lot of cultures they still would, I guess. Um, so Sophie has a really great career in publishing and she's very uh, good at what she does. And so as far as starting a family and, and how that's going to work went, um, you know, she was, and also I love, I've always been around children and had a big family and stuff. So I was always prepared for kind of having children in a way that perhaps a lot of guys might not be. So um, we kind of had this understanding that, you know, Sophie had a career and that I would be at home helping, um, looking after our kids and stuff. So obviously that came with challenges because when you have short-term memory problems and <laughs> the occasional seizure sometimes, um, but I'm very lucky because my seizures never seem to happen unless I'm having a really bad brain day, as I call them. So I get a lot of warning. So there was never any sense of like, you know, how's that going to work if I'm out with the kids? So, you know, it was, um, there were times when I would, got, would get scared or anxious about it. But um, yeah, so, um, so yeah, so that's kind of, um, yeah, I'm in a very, I, I, I never lose sight of how grateful, how lucky I have been to have all this happen to me in um, a society and family as kind of open-minded and accepting of these differences, if you like. And the idea of me going into marriage and parenthood in a very different way, perhaps to some guys in other societies, maybe, or other, you know, because the idea of me being at home with the kids, it, it's still, don't get me wrong, there are still old-fashioned people here and people who think, oh, that's weird, you know, don't you feel... But, um, yeah, I've just kind of... Uh, it, it, we've kind of made it work. And, and now that I am, thankfully, have found a career for myself um, outside of that, um, which is very exciting, something that I never thought I'd be able to do. Uh, so I'm talking about the writing, sorry. Um uh, that is that is very exciting, and so having that to do as well has really helped me um, confidence-wise, and and uh, you know seeing myself as, as you know a partner and, and a dad and stuff. You know, obviously, if you've got something else about you that you're doing contributing, then obviously that's lovely too. <laughs> Other than just parenting, which is a very very important job and very hard, as I'm sure you know, a lot of your listeners will know. <laughs> Indeed. Um, do you think from the perspective of your experience that maybe for lot, lots of us, memories are actually a burden? Um, of course, they, they, they give us context in which we can operate. But when we talk about emotional um, memories that can create a lot of problems for people, not having access to memory in a counterfactual way could be a lack of being burdened by the past and our pasts. I think there's certainly some truth. I, th I think it's it's complicated as with all these things. I think it's um, it's neither a yes or no type thing because um, there is certainly. Uh, I mean, it sounds like silly examples, but I mean, you know, my my brothers and sister will will quite often say, "Oh, you're so lucky. You don't remember school, and you don't remember." things that you know they'll be looking at the sort of um 
things that perhaps give people hang-ups and, you know, um, my siblings can't wind me up in the way that they can wind each other up because I don't have any of those childhood grievances or whatever that you might, silly things, you know, like that. And um, I don't remember, you know, my mum and dad being strict in the way that they would have been when we were children and that kind of stuff. I, I don't know. There's, there's, yeah, I guess, um, well, I'm certainly glad that I forget you know, that I don't remember the accident itself and I don't remember, um, cause that would be very traumatic, you know, if I, if I remembered that and I don't remember, I don't remember my seizures happening and I don't remember, yeah, there's a lot of things. And, and the fact that I do, um, you know, a lot of things are hazy probably does mean that I don't dwell on things. Um, you know, like the loss of, of my mother-in-law that I mentioned, who I loved a bit, and things like that way on a day-to-day -day basis you don't necessarily call upon all the time. And um, so, yeah, there probably is that. But 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 also there's the other side of it, which is sad that you don't have, particularly as you're getting older and your parents are getting older, you know, not being able to, there's nothing real in your mind when your siblings talk about that holiday that we had um, or, you know, those magical times when your parents are, you know, when you're younger and all that kind of stuff growing up together. Um, and also now as a dad as well, like, you know, um, there will be things that people will tell me that we did with the kids and I don't remember. And, and, and so it, it's a real mix because yeah, there's certainly some truth in that. Like there are, I suppose it is a benefit that I don't remember those very unpleasant things. Um, but I do remember some unpleasant things. So, um, so yeah, it's a bit of a mix, I guess. It's different to, I guess, how a lot of people see memory. And so now going to why writing, because you, you could have been interested in so many things, um, music, construction, baking. Why, why writing and, and how did this happen? Yeah. Well, you mentioned baking. That That's one of my, that's kind of like my other passion that I, I got into very early with my mum, uh, something I could do. So I, so I love doing that. But, um, but yeah, with the writing. So I was very fortunate that most of the damage was on my right side of my brain. Um, so which I know can impact your imagination, I guess, and your creativity. Um, but for whatever reason, because of the way it's happened, it doesn't seem to have affected that too badly. Um, you know, it affects episodic memory, but, but on the left side, thankfully, um, it wasn't as much damage. And so I was very fortunate to have my language. So, so, um, you know, it wasn't perfect, but I was able to understand people and, and, um, and I struggled with reading for a long time because, um, I think mainly because of my short-term memory. So uh, and the more I tried to concentrate on something and keep it in my head, the harder it would be. So I would forget who I just um, had read about. So on a page-by-page -page basis, I would be really struggling. So I struggled with reading for a long time. And also the way that I see the words seems to be different to how it, how it would be. So I don't see the shape of the words as such. I'm kind of seeing the letters because um, so I'm quite a slow reader. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think the main problem was my memory. Um, so it took me a long time to, to learn to read in the same way that certainly I was way behind <laughs> people my age. Um, 
and then writing as well. Uh, I didn't seem to have handwriting as such for whatever reason. So I kind of had to get used to how I was going to, every time I'd be thinking, oh, you know, I'd do a D differently every time or whatever. Um, interestingly enough, I could, it, it, I could immediately touch type. So <laughs> I had that, um, you know, they say like, oh, try and type your name. And, um, you know, like, can you find this letter or whatever? And I could just type. So that was a really weird thing that I just somehow kept that. Um, but yeah, so it was very, um, so I found reading and and trying to keep memory uh, of what I've read or what I thought about or whatever, very difficult. Um, so when I got this idea, so this, so unlike a lot of writers, I didn't decide I wanted to be a writer and then try and think of a story. It was the other way around for me. So I having got those memories back suddenly, which was a massive moment in my life and really changed how I saw myself and, and my past and my future, you know, going forward, having had something from the past. Um, and after this sort of 10 year journey of trying to find them. And I suddenly had the idea, I was a fan of, I guess, because I was behind with my reading, I was a fan of children's adventure stories and, and fantasy and stuff like that. Um, and suddenly there was just this click in my head and, and I got this idea for this story about this boy who um, has a brain injury um, and he wakes up in this other world and it's slightly got a fantasy twist on it. So he wakes up in this other world that isn't this world, it's slightly different, um, which just kind of helps you understand what it feels like to wake up here and not know stuff. Um, so he wakes up in this other world with no memory and... Um, uh, and has to find out who he is and, and, and find um, his family and stuff. But also he's kind of expected to do this great thing, which is, which is a real struggle. And he has to find his memory before he's found. And just this, this story and these characters just came to me suddenly, which was amazing. Um, and it just felt, I felt, I found it so therapeutic. I mean, uh, the neurologist had always said that writing was a good way to, to if you can try and do that. And, and initially I just found it so difficult kind of um so I had never sort of done that really as a as as a therapy but I found it so therapeutic not just so in lots of ways I mean because it was based on that 10-year journey and all the people that had helped me and all the emotional kind of highs and lows and stuff I just found it so therapeutic recycling all that into something new and exciting because a lot of people were interested in my um you know, my accurate, uh, story of me in real life. But, um, for me, whenever people said, Oh, you know, we'd love to write a book, you know, like, or whatever, you should try and write a book about this or get someone to help you. It always just felt too difficult. The idea, because obviously, as I'm sure a lot of, you know, writing a book, isn't that simple and <laughs> it's a lot of work. And, and so to actually commit yourself fully to going back and reliving all that and stuff when I've kind of tried to move on and, just always felt too difficult. And this was so different. It was, it was a therapy because it was like I was recycling all that into this new exciting thing. And so even though writing was incredibly difficult at first because trying to keep tabs on these characters, particularly as it wasn't strictly in this world. So all this stuff, uh, and it was really, really tricky, but I really wanted to do it. And I was very determined to do this and just it kind of became another thing that I was like wow I can do this I can I can I can write and it's not easy but you know and I have a creative mind so um 
So I kept like a million notes everywhere and, you know, um, and after about 18 months, I had a first draft of the book and, um, and Sophie, who I mentioned works in publishing said, Oh wow. You know, like you should really explore this, see, you know, see how it goes. And, um, so yeah. So then I learned a bit how to edit (laughs) sort of, um, and then, so did a couple more drafts, and then, um, amazingly, now I've I've signed to uh, this wonderful literary agency, um, who are now putting my this this first book. I should also mention it's part of a series because there was so much to tell, and because I didn't really know what I was doing, I was just doing it for myself. So there's so this book is the first part. There's a kind of significant event, um, so it's the first part of of his story, and then. There's others, um, so they're they're putting my first book to publishers this year, this in a few weeks, which is very exciting. <laughs> um, so yeah, something I never thought I could do, and now that I once I wrote that book, you know, other stories would come to me, and I just find it really, really. I find like writing has helped me with my memory as well because it's kind of really um, helped exercise, you know, my brain a bit more in terms of trying to link things together and keep track of different characters and their backstories and stuff. So like it's helped me as much as I've, I've made it happen. It's helped me a lot as well. So, yeah. Why, why children's book? Why not adults book? If, if you choose fiction over a narrative sure. of your own, why, why not tell us story? Why, why just limit it? <laughs> Well, it's not, I mean, it's, I say children's, but it's, it's a novel and it's, um, but it's because of the age of the boy. So I, I had the idea of a boy because that's how I felt. And I was, he starts off at the age of 12 because that's how old in my mind I was at that time. (laughs) Um, so, you know, I only had like 12 years experience and, um, yeah, it's just kind of strange. I think I kind of felt it easier because, as I say, that's kind of my mind was in a different place to an adult at that time. I was very kind of, um, uh, you know, I wonder in a lot of the things that I guess adults wouldn't and saw things in a, in a different way. But, um, I was also, um, um, yeah, I just, I, it kind of, I didn't write it as a children's book uh, as such. I didn't never expected it to get published. I just wrote it for me. Um, and I found it really, therapeutic um but then later once you know Sophie said this is really good and this is a great story and and maybe we could explore um the idea of that um then an editor that I that took an interest and she um helped me edit it and she said well this is this is perfect for middle grade because of the age of the characters and the nature of the story and stuff um so so then it kind of became a children's book but it's it's a novel. It's 70,000 words. It's not, you know, um, but, and I think there are a lot of, a lot of, um, messages in there for, as with all good children's stories, you know, there's a lot of messages in there for, for adults that are taken from my adult life. And, um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, but I have, I am starting to, to have ideas for stories now as well that are, specifically for adults, not for children. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I think your kids want to be part of the podcast as well, which I think is good. <laughs> they definitely they have, their own story. they have their own story to tell. 
Um, but I, I want to ask two, two aspects there. One aspect, which is to tell us a little bit more about this role of music, because you just told us about the roles of words and words, you know, and writing and, and fiction and creation with words. So what do you think happened with music for you that, that opened up this connection with memory? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a really, I mean, music um, is just unlike anything else. There's this really, it kind of seems to have this amazing uh, way that it links to memory that other things don't. Um, and I know that from meeting other people with memory problems and how it can just uh, do things and evoke memories or, or feel familiar even if you're not sure why or whatever, which I've certainly experienced as well. Um, and um, for a long time, because I couldn't get those memories back, even though I was exploring the music of that time and stuff, um, I, I kind of doubted how much of a part that could play in my story but um uh then having had that finally found some music that that did uh bring those memories back uh yeah it's a very powerful thing and i've always loved music anyway but um but yeah it just has this amazing quality um about it that there's some there's some kind of primitive thing that we seem to have with music that that the human brain just stores it differently or has a special place for it and um yeah a lot like smells and things like that um you know seem to evoke such vivid and powerful memories for people um going way back so yeah obviously i i mean i've always loved music but now it's so special to me and that song that was the first one to bring anything back has got a big meaning for me so yeah, it's a it's a it's a wonderful thing, and um, we've got musicians in the family as well. So so yeah, music is a big part of my life. So and it probably will remain as well. So tell us, uh, un- unavoidably, given that this is twenty twenty one and we've all gone through <laughs> a pandemic, which is a pretty unique event at the at the world scale. So tell us a little bit about how that has been for you and your family considering you know that you are in in, in the yeah. uk and I assume you've had some lockdown as well and we have yeah we've um it was yeah i'm not gonna sugarcoat it too much it has been tricky as i'm sure it has been for a lot of people i mean i am always uh, i have never even in you know the difficult um lockdowns particularly the winter lockdown which went on and on and on um you know i'm always grateful for the fact that we had an income because for a lot of people that disappeared so we would we never lost sight of how lucky we were to have money or you know not much but you know we had one income and that's something that a lot of people didn't have um and also to live in a society where you know we were able to get essentials and all that kind of stuff so you know never never lost um uh sight of that but but yeah it was it was tricky particularly having such young children so my uh so even my so i have two two daughters and um uh, my eldest didn't start school until uh september last year september 2020 so um the first sort of right up until september it was just us at home there was no nursery or anything like that and so (laughs) so it was very challenging trying to find things to stimulate them every day and teaching them things and 
just not having, I'm a very sociable person, even though I struggle uh, with the recognition and my memory and stuff. But in terms of the people that are close to me, I, I feel a strong need to be around them and to see them. And particularly as a parent, I want my children to, you know, we know scientifically how important it is for children's development to be around people. So I really struggled with that. I was, I really, um, as a parent, less for myself, but more, you know, as difficult as it was being at home all the time with no groups or, you know, visiting people and doing stuff. Um, I've just been mindful of the children and like the effect that this must have had, even if it isn't uh, permanent. Um, I was, I was very glad that my uh, five-year-old was able to start school, um, even though it was, uh, you know, there was then another proper lockdown in winter. So she got about three months of her first school life and then and then they had to do this home home learning which obviously at that age is not easy um but yeah she has had you know over the sort of year like she has had some socialization and so that really helped um but for my now three-year-old she just turned three so she was between 18 months and turning three this has all happened which is you know such a it's so important to to socially develop in that period. So it was really bother. It was a. It was we. I knew why we had to do it and how important it was. You know, from a health. You know, protecting each other and and stuff. But um, it was really tricky. It was very hard for my parents to not see them, um, because you know they're in their seventies and you want to see your grandchildren, and so that was really hard. Uh, we tried to make it work with the whole Zoom thing and everything, but you know, there's only so much that can work. Um. So yeah, it was it was very difficult. I found ways to. Thankfully, we could still go to one or two playgrounds in the winter. So, you know, and and there was, I don't know about the society you're living in, but here there was a real uh, divide between people. You know, a lot of people felt that you literally shouldn't do anything. You shouldn't go outside. You shouldn't go to the park. You know, you shouldn't even if it was almost empty. It wasn't safe to do anything. And I think as a parent, as I say, particularly with an 18-month, um, two-year-old, it's very, you have to strike a balance because you're so aware of the very negative impact of absolutely doing nothing for such a long time in that those formative years. Um, I mean, all these studies that were done before this, you know, and that was all thrown up in the air and people were saying, no, it doesn't matter. This is the only thing that matters. And it was, you know, COVID was, was horrific and is horrific. And, and it was, it was really important that we were protecting other people. Um, so, and I, myself living with epilepsy was high risk. So thankfully here in the UK, I was able to get my, my vaccine relatively early. Um, so, um, yeah, we kind of had to, we, we, it was very limited. We did do our part, if you like to call it that. And we did stay at home. The first lockdown, we did nothing. We just stayed at home. We didn't go to the park. We didn't any of that. So, and then as the time went on and we realized, wow, this is going to be a huge part of her early life. You know, in the winter, I particularly in the winter, things aren't as busy as well. So I thought, no, she needs to go and go on a swing and she needs to, you know, if nothing else. Um, so, you know, and see other children from afar in the playground, just things like that. I think you, I think as a parent, you have, you had to strike a balance if it was possible and legal even because our government 
you know, was, did crack down, especially for our society where we're used to being able to kind of make our own decisions and, and, and never before in my lifetime have I known a time where the government has had to be so, uh, you know, dictate the way we live our lives in such a, um, and for a good reason, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it was, it is what it is. And, and, you know, um, I lost a friend to COVID last year and it's a very real thing. Um, so uh, yeah, it's been difficult as I'm sure it has, um, it's been, it's affected everybody in different ways, I think. Um, and it was a real worry for me as well, being, having epilepsy, you know, even though, um, it's not a respiratory thing, but if I get sick with anything, so if I get, um, you know, a gastric, any kind of infection, it can bring on seizures. And, um, so, so I was worried about, about catching it as well. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a challenge, but thankfully, um, we are, uh, yeah, we, we've been able to see the family, um, a bit more and, and, um, I think the children are very resilient. Um, and I think so long as, yeah, you, you kind of approach these things in the right way and find a slight balance somewhere and you're patient and you kind of keep, I think my whole thing in life, you know, the way it's got me through a lot of things, um, is, is having a different perspective and being able to see, okay, this isn't forever. And, you know, that <laughs> well, you know, I think it's very, I've seen a lot of people who perhaps haven't been through, uh, things before this, um, who've really struggled, you know, with the idea of being restricted and, and not being able to, um, and, and just being around something like this. Uh, whereas for me, I was very kind of, I don't know, you know, we, it was, again, it was kind of like, um, seeing what we can do and what's not dangerous and what's not going to kill us. And, and rather than being like, Oh, there's this new disease, you know, it's kind of like, okay, well, you're very practical. My dad's a doctor and that's kind of given me this very kind of practical outlook on things. And so I was like, if we've done all the right things, if we're avoiding doing these things and we're washing our hands and we're using antibiotics and you know, whatever, then you get on with your life. And you can't live sat watching the TV and worrying about it because you've done what you need to do. You've, you've taken a risk assessment, you know, and then, um, and then you know that it's not forever. So you kind of, yeah, I think I just have a different perspective to some people that I know who have really struggled through this. And I feel very sorry for them because it must be awful if you don't have that perspective, because, you know, the way that the media operates to, to, give you this fear, this nonstop fear. I mean, I didn't watch, you know, I, I wanted to know the essentials, what we needed to know, but I didn't sit there watching the TV. I think maybe being a parent helped with that because you can't. So, <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I think it was, it was definitely a challenge. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was a challenge in our own way, but, um, but I think my outlook kind of helped us and, and, you know, Sophie has that too. And, so we kind of, um, we saw that all the things that we could have. And as I said before, you know, we kind of were in our mind all the time. We're all those poor people who have lost their income. We have one income, which is something a lot of people don't have. Uh, you know, we have free healthcare here to a point. So all those sorts of things we were, you know, looking around the world and just thinking, wow, we're so lucky. So even though it was a challenge, uh, compared to life without COVID, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we kind of, that was, uh, that got us through. So, 
Well, Thomas, before we conclude this um, really wonderful conversation you and I both had, oh, I hope you had it. I certainly did. Um, I would like to ask you what I ask all my guests, and I think yours will be um, very special. What is your weird sauce for this life that you've um, experienced so far? Um, yeah, I think uh, a big one is um, for, and it's, it's, it's definitely the, the message in my book, um, is that if something is not impossible, then you can do it. Um, and if you can do one thing, just one thing. So, you know, for instance, living with a disability, unfortunately, you have to accept that there is something that you can't do. Um, and people don't like it when, when we have to say that. Yeah, I've got friends with, uh, we, you know, we've got a whole range of different, my friend Reese, who's, who's blind, um, has a great outlook as well. But it's kind of, I think when you live with a disability, unfortunately, there is no magic thinking a way out of it. Um, and there's a kind of, there was a point in my uh, life when I realized that actually accepting my limitations um, was kind of freeing because it kind of allows you to really focus on what you can do and see how awesome you can be at stuff um, and the stuff that you can do. So for instance, writing then came to me and I realized how great I could be at that. So, you know, the fact that I can't drive and I can't, um, do a lot of jobs that really I do struggle with because of my memory and my concentration and having seizures and all that kind of stuff. You know, I could look at it that way. Um, cause there is a lot of stuff that all my peers can do that I can't. Um, or I can say, wow, I have my language and I can do this and, and whatever. So for me, yeah, it's about seeing, yeah, my kind of ethos is if you can do just one thing, and for hopefully most of us that we can do a lot more than one, <laughs> but if you can do one thing, um, you can be amazing at that. And, um, and if it's not impossible, uh, then you can do it. So <laughs> that's kind of, that's my weird source. <laughs> Thomas, thank you very much. I, I certainly wish that um, COVID will come to an end very Me quickly too. for your children and for yourself. And I thank obviously you. will link the um, will link the, the in in the episode notes your book link when it comes out, and uh, we'll thank be you. cheering you on when that, when that comes out. So we wish you all the best with this. Thank you. It was lovely talking to you. Lovely talking to you, and be yeah. well. Thank you. You too. If this conversation stopped you in your track, share it with your network. You never know whose life you might change for the better. Thank you for listening. Stay curious about our next guest and stay curious about life. <laughs>